Well, good morning. We are in a new series through the book of 2 Samuel in your Old Testament. So I would encourage you, if you have your Bible with you, to turn to the book of 2 Samuel in your Old Testament. If you don't know where that is, feel free to look it up in the front of your Bible in the index and, and find a page number. But 2 Samuel... This is a historical book. It covers 150 years of Israel's history through the lives of the prophet Samuel and King Saul and King David, roughly from 1120 B.C. to 971. And while it's a history, it also serves a theological purpose. And one of the main things that our human author wants us to see in this book, is God's rule. That God has a right to rule in our lives. Ever since the beginning of recorded scripture, we say that God has been demonstrating his right to rule. Originally, even before the creation of the earth, we find God creating angels for the purpose of worshiping and serving him. And yet, Lucifer, Satan, led a revolt against God, and some of these angels fell and set up an opposing kingdom. So we have God's kingdom rule, and then Satan and his kingdom rule trying to undercut God. When that false kingdom began, God set up his rule, demonstrating his right to rule on earth, and gave Adam and Eve the authority to represent his right to rule. Thus, Genesis 1.26 tells us that man had rule over the earth. We see that false kingdom, Satan, coming in and tempting Adam and Eve. And ever since man's fall, we have been born into this kingdom of darkness. We bear sin. And yet, God is all about demonstrating his right to rule in the lives of those he's created. We see him give Noah authority to rule, Abraham authority to rule, and as we come to the books of Samuel, we see God's anointed king, Saul, and after Saul, David, given authority from God to represent him. Thus, if one wants to honor God, they must honor God's representative, the king, Saul, and then David. We're going to talk this morning a little bit later about how that applies to us. But one of the things that we're going to see from the life of David is that David sees how vital it is for God's people to honor God's right to rule in our lives. He has the right to demand of us what he desires to demand. He is our creator. And so we're going to see all through this book this concept of God's right to rule in our lives. I'm going to start reading in verse 17 of chapter 1. If you remember, last week we saw 
this Amalekite, coming to David and say, King Saul is dead and I helped the process along. I actually killed him at his request. I was just helping him out. Here's his crown. Here's his royal armband. And uh, aren't you happy with me? He's working an angle, thinking that he'd get in good with David, maybe position himself for uh, a position in David's new kingdom. And yet, David demonstrates that he truly honors God's anointed authority by ordering the Amalekite executed. And David, in a deep desire to honor God by honoring the one that God put in a position of authority, writes this song. It's actually a funeral song. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Start on the read in verse 17. Then David chanted with this lament over Saul and Jonathan, his son. And he told them to teach the sons of Judah the song of the bow. Behold, it is written in the book of Jasher. Your beauty, O Israel, is slain on your high places. How have the mighty fallen? Tell it not in Gath. Proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon, where the daughters of the Philistines will rejoice. The daughters of the uncircumcised will exult. O mountains of Gilboa, let not dew or rain be on you, nor field of offerings. For there the shield of the mighty was defiled, the shield of Saul not anointed with oil. From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back, and the sword of Saul did not return empty. Saul and Jonathan, beloved and pleasant in their life, and in their death they were not parted. They were swifter than eagles, they were stronger than lions. O daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you luxuriously in scarlet, who put ornaments of gold on your apparel. How have the mighty fallen in the midst of the battle? Jonathan is slain on your high places. I'm distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. You've been very pleasant to me. Your love to me was more wonderful than the love of women. How have the mighty fallen and the weapons of war perished? You see, David in this funeral song is driving home the point that God's people must honor God's right to rule over our lives. God comes first and we are to align our lives with him. And then trust that he's a big enough God to honor his promises to us. Many years ago, one of our elders here at Faith Bible Church did something that made a mark that I've always remembered. He was offered a, uh, a better position with his company, a promotion. And he said, no. Why would you say no? I mean, don't you want the extra money? He said no because he believed that taking that position would pull him away from what he believed to be his responsibilities with his wife and his children. And thus, he said, no, I cannot take that. That's always stuck with me because I think it's an example of honoring God's right to rule in our lives. 
and trusting God to fulfill his promises of taking care of our everyday needs. And here we're going to see example after example of David saying, honor God's right to rule in your life. And David demonstrates with his life that he believed that God was big enough that God would provide according to his promises. And David didn't have to work an angle to somehow make things happen. We begin this funeral song in verses 17 through 19. And David is going to challenge those who hear his song of the need to teach the song to others, to future generations. Now, it's not because it's really a cool song. It's because what the song is teaching is important for future generations to be reminded that we need to honor God's right to rule over our lives. Verse 17, Then David chanted with this lament, over Saul and Jonathan, his son. I like the way the New Living Translation translates the verse. Then David composed a funeral song for Saul and Jonathan. And he told them to teach the sons of Judah the song of the bow. That's the name of this song. So here's what I want you to do. I'm going to sing this for you, but you need to teach it to generation after generation, this song of the bow. Why? Because it's teaching truths about the need to honor God's right to rule in our lives. Verse 19. Your beauty, O Israel, is slain on your high places. How have the mighty fallen? That refrain, how have the mighty fallen, is told to us in verse 19, and then it's repeated again in verse 25 and verse 27. When David says, your beauty is slain on your high places, he's referring to Saul and Jonathan, God's authorized representatives. God's authority is encompassed in the person Saul, who God put in a position as king over Israel. Thus, David says... Our glory as a nation is God's representative. And God's representative is lying dead on the high places, referring to the Mount Gilboa, the battlefield of Mount Gilboa where Saul was slain, as we saw last week in the first part of chapter 1. You see, David sees the need to teach future generations to honor God's rule. Our men's ministry here at Faith Bible Church just finished up a study by Andy Stanley. And it was a study designed to help men in very practical ways uh, be spiritual leaders, to be godly men who are uh, providing not only verbal instruction, but even more so living out what it means to be a godly husband and dad. And he did a section on finances in which I love this example that he chose on how he instilled in the life of his children God's right to rule in our lives. 
with money. He gave each child three jars. And one jar was entitled for God, one jar was entitled for saving, and one jar was entitled uh, for spending. And then whenever they gave their children money, like an allowance or maybe a birthday gift, they would give the money in small increments so that it was easy to divide the money up. They put so much in the jar for God and so much in the jar for saving and so much in the jar for spending. You see, right from an early age, they're demonstrating to their children that everything that we have is from God. And that it's important for us to acknowledge that by giving back to God a portion of what he's given to us. You see, what he's doing there is teaching his children that God has a right to rule in our lives. And that's what David is saying here. Remember verse 18? This, the bow, the song, the bow. Teach it to the son's of Judah. Now, we don't live in a theocracy today that God is immediately ruling over us. We wish we did. One day we will. But we don't today. But Jesus Christ is enthroned in this mystery form of the kingdom, this church age in which we are. Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father and we are to yield our lives to his right to rule over us. How does that look? According to David, one of the things that we need to do as Christians is teach those generations that come after us the importance of yielding ourselves to Christ's right to rule in our lives. And we have opportunity to do that as grandparents and parents. We have opportunity to do that as children's workers in our, in our Sunday morning children's ed, in our vacation Bible school, in our Awana program. As we take the words of this book, that is God speaking to us, and remind those who come after us that we have a responsibility to align ourselves with what this book says. It's a very practical book. Remember 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, a central verse in everything that we do here at Faith Bible Church, talking about the role of Scripture. And 2 Timothy 3, 16 says... And all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. It's practical. It's what we as dads need to be opening up as we work with our sons and daughters. I can remember as a kid how many times did I have to go into my father's office, his home office, and he'd sit across from his desk from me and take out his Bible and say, okay, this is what you're doing. This is what the Bible says. It's not matching up. Very practical ways. And what David is saying is teach these truths to the generations that follow us that God has a right to rule in our lives. 
For those of us who are New Testament Christians, Jesus Christ has a right to rule in your life, in my life, in the lives of those who follow after us. Now, David doesn't stop there. He goes on and talks about the fact that Jesus Christ, in our lives today as New Testament Christians, and in Israel's life, that God has a right to rule in our life, and it needs to be seen today. It needs to be lived out. In fact, we shouldn't do anything that would cause God to be trampled on by those around us. So we see in verses 20 through 21 that God's people need to honor God's rule in their lives and not discredit God. You see, that's what David's worried about. Remember, he's living in this town called Ziklag. Never been to Ziklag? Well, Ziklag is in Philistine territory. It was given to David as kind of a place to rest his head because he had been fleeing from Saul for years who wanted to kill him. So David's back home in Ziklag. Saul has just died in battle against the Philistines. The Philistine soldiers are walking past, and I think David sees these soldiers walking past and is, in a sense, calling out to them, saying, Tell it not in Gath. Proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon, or the daughters of the Philistines will rejoice, the daughters of the uncircumcised will exult. What David is saying is this. Don't be going telling people about Saul's death. He is the anointed one of God. He was God's representative on earth. Don't be talking about the fact that he lies dead in the dust. It'll allow God's enemies to trample him. And I think David is reminiscent of the fact that the women of Israel used to sing that Saul had slain his thousands and David is ten thousands. And here David doesn't want that happening in the cities of the Philistines. So when he says and calls out to Gath and to Ascalon, those are two Philistine cities. And by naming those two, he's saying all of the Philistine territory... Don't be talking about this. We don't want to see God's name, his character, trampled. And then he turns to the mountain where Saul lies dead. And he pronounces a curse on the mountain. He basically says, oh, Mount Gilboa, may it never rain on you again. Because upon you, the Lord's anointed lies dead And then at the end of verse 21, he says, there the shield of the mighty was defiled, the shield of Saul not anointed with oil. Most likely, Saul's shield would have been made out of leather. And a warrior would regularly put oil on his shield so that it would stay pliable, so that it would still work. But now, Saul can't put oil on his shield anymore. He's dead. He's lying in the dust. And the shield is there next to him. So David says, don't repeat What's happened to Saul? Don't do anything that would discredit our God before the peoples. Now the principle for us is this. Our lives should be reflecting our king, the person of Jesus Christ. And we need to be very careful in our lives not to do things that would cause Jesus Christ to be trampled underfoot by the people around us. 
Since 2002, my wife and I have just lived in the county, in Lynn County, with not neighbors real close. But before, from 1995 to 2002, we lived in the town with close neighbors. And sometimes that's nice. I use as a handle on some of my social media, uh, I call myself Steve in real life. And people who live close to me get to see Steve in real life. And sometimes it's not good. One afternoon I was out in my garage trying to maintain my 21-inch Toro pushmore. I don't like anything mechanical. I'm not gifted in it. I don't have a mechanical aptitude, but I'm cheap. I'm not going to pay somebody else to go change the oil on my pushmore. So I'm out there trying to change oil, and I'm trying to get my blade off of my mower. My wrench slips off of the bolt that holds the blade onto the mower. My hand slips off. My back of my hand scrapes across the top of the moor, and I scrape my hand all up. I'm bleeding, and I'm mad. I don't want to be doing this. I stand up. I yelled. I took my wrench. I threw it across the garage through a big sheet of cardboard, punched a hole in the cardboard. So I'm going, yeah, I throw my wrench. Just as the neighbor lady is walking up to our house with her little kindergartner and a plate of cookies. Oh, Pastor Steve just threw his wrench across the garage. And I immediately felt a sense of failure and shame and, oh, look what I just did. Now I just showed my anger in front of my next door neighbor. And not just because I'm a pastor, but all of us who are followers of Jesus Christ want to be reflecting Christ in our lives, but sometimes we mess up. And what do I do? So I sucked up my pride and I went next door after the ladies had talked for a while. I went next door and I asked for my next door neighbor's forgiveness and I apologized to her and her little guy and said, I messed up. You see, whether in victory or in how we handle our failure, we've got to be concerned about having Jesus Christ's reputation lifted up by how we live. And we don't want to do anything that would cause Jesus to be trampled underfoot. And that's what David's concern is here. He doesn't want God trampled underfoot because God's anointed representative lies in the dust. So David says... It's important for God's people to honor God's rule in their lives. Teach this to future generations. Model it in your own life today. Don't do anything that would would cause the name of God to be trampled underfoot. And finally, in verses 22 through 27, we see David saying this. God's people need to honor God's established representatives of his rule on earth. So teach future generations that we need to follow God's rule. Don't do anything to attract from detract from God's rule. And finally, today in your own life, Honor those that God has put into positions of authority over us. And that's what David does here. 
In verse 22, he says, From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back, and the sword of Saul did not return empty. By saying, talking about the bow of Jonathan and the sword of Saul, he's talking about Jonathan and Saul. And what David is saying is this, they are skillful men. God had charged Israel to go wipe out the godless neighbors around them who had no regard for God or the things of God to destroy them. And Saul and his son Jonathan were skillful and strong in battle. And then he goes on to explain that they were devoted to each other as father to son and son to father. He says, Saul and Jonathan, beloved and pleasant in their life, and in their death they were not parted. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. And then he goes on to talk about Saul's success in verse 24. He's he's talking about the fact that Saul enabled Israel to have such a stable culture in a stable economy that Israel lived well. He says, O daughters of Israel, weep over Saul who clothed you luxuriously in scarlet, who put ornaments of gold on your apparel. He's saying, you've been able to go shop in Neiman Marcus and Macy's because Saul created a society that is strong with a vibrant economy. Oh, how have the mighty fallen. See, David here is honoring God's representatives. Those that God gave authority to rule. So David is saying we need to honor God's rule to future generations. We need to make sure that we don't do anything to detract from God's rule. And then we need to be living in such a way that you and I are honoring God's rule over our lives today. Now, I'm going to flesh that out a little bit more, but I wanted to make a brief comment about verse 26. Because even though this material is very, very old, you know, again, talking about 1,100 years before Christ, Verse 26 has become a very popular verse in arguments today for a gay and lesbian lifestyle. And so if you look at verse 26, David says, I'm distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. You have been very pleasant to me. Your love to me was more wonderful than the love of women. And those who are proponents of a gay and lesbian lifestyle are using verse 26 to say that David here was talking about an illicit physical relationship with Jonathan. That's not what this verse is saying. And just there's many arguments why that's not what this verse is saying. I'm going to mention a couple of them. One is that the whole tenor of the Old Testament is that God viewed homosexual acts as egregious, as rebellion, punishable in Israel with capital punishment. So if you'd go to uh, Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22, Leviticus chapter 20, verse 13, you see that that's the tenor of the Old Testament, that God views carrying out homosexual acts as sin. 
Here, David is being lifted up in our, by our author. Uh, the thought of David here talking about an illicit physical relationship with Jonathan is not even near the context of what's being talked about. Secondly, the Hebrew word translated love here is not the predominant word used in the Old Testament to talk about a physical relationship. It's That word is the word translated in our English Bibles, to know. So like the man knew the woman, uh, in some passages would be a euphemistic way of talking about physical relations. Here, that's not the word used. It's just more talking about this, this deep covenantal love uh, demonstrated for us in passages like 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 1 through 3, talking about Jonathan and David being committed to each other. The other thing that's so apparent is even in today, in Eastern cultures, Eastern cultures view uh, relationships much different than we do. When I was spent uh, a month in India in 2000, I, I was aghast because I'd come into a city and men would walk down the street holding hands. And I was assuming that every one of those men were uh, were gay. And my host quickly corrected me, says, no, that's just, they're good buddies. Uh, you never saw a man and a woman walking down the street holding hands. And it's amazing that that culture is, is almost like a biblical culture from that aspect that the same thing would have been true back in this era. That it, that, that, that physical touch in an Eastern culture, even today, was nothing with any kind of illicit overtones to it. There's no illicit overtone here to verse 26 at all. Now, having said that, I want to get back to the main thrust of what David is saying here, and that is that we need to honor God's authorized representatives of authority over us. And today, we don't have a king that's been anointed by God like they did in Israel. We don't live in a theocracy. But God has established authorities over us. And where there's actually four of them that we see in the New Testament, we're going to briefly look at each one of these. established authorities that God has in your life and my life that we need to honor. If we're going to honor God's right to rule, if we're going to honor Jesus Christ's right to rule in our lives, we have to honor these authorities. The first is government. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 13, verses 1 and 2, these words. Romans 13 1 and 2, every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there's no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. That's pretty much a blanket statement that the the political authority, our governmental authority that's over us today is there because God has established it. Do I like pain? Taxes? Do I like that the first five months of my earning goes to my government? No. But I have a responsibility to pay that because that is what my government is asking me to do. And as long as my government doesn't ask me to do something that would cause me to sin against God, 
I have a responsibility to honor that those who are in authority over me just as I honor God because God's the one that put them in authority. Another assigned authority in our lives today is found in the realm of the home. Look with me over at Ephesians chapter 5.22. As the Apostle Paul is talking to wives, he says this in verse 22, Wives, be subject or yield to your own husbands as to the Lord. So that the Lord has given that husband a role that the wife is to yield to him, but in yielding to him, she's not yielding to him, she's yielding to Jesus Christ. Now husbands, before we go very far with that in our minds, we also need to be reminded of First Peter chapter 3, verse 7, because if we're doing what we're doing, it's easy for a wife to yield to our leadership, because in First Peter chapter 3, verse 7, we find that we, husbands, have a responsibility to be loving our wives. Look at verse 7. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. That means if a husband is not honoring his wife, it's damaging his oneness with God, and it's like his prayers are going to bounce off the ceiling. So, husbands, we have an authority to whom we answer in the home, just as a wife has an authority to whom she answers, ultimately both to the person of Jesus Christ. If we're going to honor Christ's rule in our lives, we have to honor government, we have to honor the authority in the home, and the New Testament also says, in the workplace... Turn with me over to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 is talking to slaves. And it says in verse 5, Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Working heartily. That means that not in a slave-master relationship, but in a employer-employee relationship, that I don't do my best just when my boss is watching. I do my best whether my boss is watching or not. Because ultimately, I'm serving Jesus Christ. I'm not just serving a person. You see, if I'm going to honor Jesus Christ's authority in my life, I have to honor the government. I have to honor the home structure that God has set up. And I have to honor my employer. And finally, the fourth one is within church. First Peter chapter 5 tells elders that we have been assigned those under our care and that we are to honor Jesus as we shepherd. And then in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, it tells a church family to honor the leadership that God has established within that local church. You see, if I'm going to honor Christ's right to rule in my life, I have to honor His right to rule in everyday life. Everyday life. My youngest son plays basketball for the University of North Dakota. 
He's a redshirt junior. He's third year of playing. His first year, he got a really good amount of time on the floor. Got to start about eight games. Some guys were hurt, opened up a window, and he did well. His second year, everybody got healthy by the second half of the season. He was a sophomore. There were nine seniors. So I said, hey, man, just hang on. These nine seniors are going to graduate, then you'll get your day. Well, now's year three. And when the nine seniors graduated, they brought in a bunch of transfers from big schools. And Shane is riding the pine. First half of the season, he got to play some, and then it just the handwriting was on the wall. And he sent me a text before one of his first uh, games that were in 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 uh, that counted, and uh, he says, "Dad, in the text, God's in control. Don't worry about it." That for my kid sounds like what I should be telling him. But that was a good reminder. And he and I have talked about whether you're on the floor or not. You've got to work as hard as you can in practice. And we don't know why God has you in that position that you're in. We don't know. But God's in control. But he has a responsibility. Really, his coach is his employer. And he's got a responsibility to do his best, whether things are going good or not. You see, what David is all about here in this funeral song, is reminding those who are listening and those who follow after that we need to be honoring God's right to rule in our lives and teaching future generations to honor his rule as well. Father, I thank you for these verses and the reminder that we have authority over us too. And that we need to honor your right to rule. Help us, Father, by your Holy Spirit to recognize that our lives need to reflect Jesus. And that as those who look at us see those who are yielded to your rule on a daily basis. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.